in what Brad had to say, I'm in agreement. What he's saying is right. And at the beginning of the year, I talked to you about each month we would receive a special offering. Last month we received a special offering and it went to Night to Shine. But our one of our main goals this year is to get some of that debt reduction on the remodel over there paid for. So next Sunday will be our monthly special offering and it will be designated towards that debt reduction. That Those rooms over there have turned out nice. I'm sure you enjoy not having to take your kids over there. And so we just need to get that paid off. So next week, if you have a special offering, that's the time to sow for the future. So I appreciate that. Mike has been sharing this year on purpose, God's purpose for your life. And this text scripture is in 1 Corinthians. I'll just read it to you. Chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. God has a purpose, and he has a plan for your life. And so um, Mike had talked about, and and so I'm going to come this morning, and I'm going to talk to you from my perspective on that. Sometimes it's nice, you're, you're hit something and it's nice to get a different perspective. And I'm the kind of, think always in practical terms. I'm the kind of person that wants to make everything easy. Mike, I had a math class last semester and it should have been easy. And he said, she just made it so hard. And now he's got a math class this semester and it should be one that's so hard And he says, she just makes it so easy. And so I'm here to give you the cliff note version, the cheat sheet. There's no reason to read 16 volumes when you can get it in the cheat sheet, okay? So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about how to find your purpose in life. And, you know, last time Mike shared on this, he talked about Rex Tillerson, the new... um, Secretary of State and how he had worked all his life for ExxonMobil and as he went to retire, then he got a call from President Trump asking him to be the Secretary of State and how that was most likely the true calling of his life. But I can guarantee you when he was 20 years old or 25 and went to work for ExxonMobil, never in his wildest dreams, his farthest imagination would he ever have expected to get a call from the president so you know God probably isn't going to tell you if you're 20 he's most likely not going to tell you what you're doing specifically when you're 65 so how do you know what your purpose of life is well basically it's a if you understand God he does everything in order everything is step by step by step if you find out what your purpose for life today is and do it And then tomorrow, what's your purpose for life? And do it. Pretty soon, you'll be amazed at how fast the years go by. Pretty soon, you're going to be at that point where you're doing things you never believed, never imagined, but that was God's purpose for your life all along. So um, what I really want to talk to you about today is step one on how to get to know what's your purpose in life. And maybe you've already been there, but... Let's just go back and go over it. If you turn to Jeremiah chapter 9, we don't have a lot of scriptures to look at today, but two of them will be in Jeremiah. So find Jeremiah and we'll go there. Jeremiah chapter 9, 
verses 23 and 24. He says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. Step one, purpose in life. Right here, you've got to know God. Let me give you a couple quick facts about knowing and knowledge. Number one, there's a difference between believing and knowing. They are two different things. Salvation comes from believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You have, that's really the starting point. You have to start there. You have to believe first because once you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then Jesus comes and lives in you and then you can get to know God. You can't really know God until you first believed, okay? Believing and knowing are two different things. Salvation comes from believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth. Now turn over to Jeremiah 31, and he talks about this. Jeremiah was a prophet, and in this portion of Scripture, he's, he's living under the Old Covenant. Covenant. He's in the Old Testament, but he's going to give a foresight of what the New Covenant is going to be all about. In Jeremiah 31, verse 34, he says, No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother. Realize in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, you couldn't really know God. You could know about God. Okay? But he's saying, now that's going to end. You're going to come to a place. Man will come to a place where you don't have to hear about God from your neighbor or your brother, but you can know him yourself. He says, No more shall each man teach his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, and I will remember it no more. In the new covenant, after you believe and receive Jesus for salvation, then you have access to the Spirit of God so that you can know him. That's what it's talking about. That's what Jeremiah was foretelling here. The old covenant is knowing about God. The new covenant is knowing God. To believe is to be persuaded of something. You can be talked into something. You can watch Sasquatch shows, and you can believe there is a Sasquatch but no one has knowledge of Sasquatch because they've never found him. They've never found his skeleton. They've never gotten a real picture of him. <laughs> Believing is being persuaded, but knowing is having a personal experience. And you can't know until you have the personal experience. Oral Roberts always talked about the difference, and he'd say, I don't know how to explain it, but you just know that you know that you know that you know. People that aren't born again do not understand how a believer knows there is a heaven and knows that Jesus lives inside them. The reason they don't understand it is because you've got to believe it first, and then you have the personal 
knowledge of it. You know that you know that something happened in your life. You maybe can't quite put your finger on it, but you know that you know. So to believe is to be persuaded, but knowing comes from firsthand personal experience. Personal experience takes you from the believing to the knowing. So when you believe and then you ask Jesus into your heart, then the knowing comes because of you did something in the personal experience. Knowledge is gleaned from firsthand personal experience. It is gained by a personal direct relationship. Too many people just know the God of salvation. They get born again. They know the God of salvation. They experience that, but they never go beyond that. And in Jeremiah 31, he's talking about you can go beyond that because of the new covenant, because of what Jesus did. You can actually know God. There's there's a difference between true spiritual knowledge gain through relationship with God and worldly knowledge. You have to understand, differentiate, discern. There's a difference between the two. In John chapter 3, you don't need to turn there, 31, he talks about, and most of you heard the scripture, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. He talks about knowing the truth as compared to what New Testament writers warn against. In the New Testament and in the epistles and some of them, you'll read scriptures like, Knowledge puffs up. Okay, you'll hear them talk or read about them talking about Gnosticism. And and they, they warn against Gnosticism. Gnosticism is knowing. Gnosticism is knowledge from personal experience alone. Okay, so you can have knowledge from personal experience alone. But that's where people get off. If all your knowledge... It's just based on academics. It's just based on some emotional experience. You can get off. And what happens is that knowledge will puff you up or that knowledge will deceive you or it can, can become legalistic. Oh, I know God. I know how he works. You've got to hear through me. There are some warning things that can trip you up and some ways to keep from being tripped up. Your personal experience with God can't be based on your feelings and emotions. Personal experience of God is, there can be some emotion, there can be some feeling in the relationship, but it can't be based on that. Your relationship with God has to be based on the word of God, and it has to line up with the word of God. If you get some great glorious revelation and it has nothing to do with the word of God, probably it's not knowledge of God, most likely, okay? And the other, so your knowledge of God has to be based on the truth or the real truth that sets you free on the word of God. So that's one reason why it's so important to read the word of God because as you read the word of God, you get to know the heart of God. You get to see the perspective of God. You get to understand some of his characteristics and and how he functions and how he flows. And another thing, don't let yourself get tripped up. Knowledge is for everybody that knows, that is a believer. In Jeremiah, he talks about we shall all know God. 
God doesn't just give his knowledge to a certain person or a select group of people. So if you've got some group out there professing they know everything, and God just speaks to them. There's a woman in town in Norfolk right now, and she thinks she's a prophetess. And some pastor in town wouldn't baptize her, and so she's declared he's from the devil. She thinks she has a corner on the market with God. She's missed the mark. You don't get a corner on the market with God. God can speak to everybody. <laughs> Mike knows who she is, and, and he saw her outside smoking a cigarette the other day. So, But she knows God more than anybody else. Anyway, when you get around something like that, just stay far, far away, okay? Just stay far, far away. There is no such thing as God's select group. The body of Christ is God's select group. So how do you develop a relationship with God? You know, that should be so easy, and yet we can make it so difficult. How do you know his plans and purposes for his life? How do you know him so well? You know, I have pondered on that all week. How can I tell you how to have a a relationship between you and God. I can't tell you how to have a relationship with God. He deals with me differently than he's going to deal with you. Anytime somebody gets up and says, you have to do exactly the way I do it, it has to be a, you have to be a carbon. Yeah, you can see something in somebody's life and you want that. But when it comes down to it, you have to know God yourself. You can't have a relationship with God through your parent, through your spouse, through your pastor, through some big name minister on TV. You can't get to know God through emails, text messages, Snapchats, Facebook. You've just got to know God. And Twitter, yes, Twitter. Anyway... I got a Twitter account this week because I want to hear from Trump. (laughs) And Mike has just been harassing me all week because I screwed it up when I did it. Anyway, yeah, I got on his email account or something, and he was just blocking everything out. He's afraid I was going to stalk him. I'm not, so don't worry. I can't even figure it out, but whatever. It's easier to get to know God. Anyway, so I all, all week this week, how do I tell, you know, how do I even make them want to know God? Well, I just, I just can't tell you how to get to know God. You've just got to know God. But if you've ever heard me before, let's just digress for a minute. Nobody wants to hear me talk about what I want. They just want to hear about Monroe anyway. If you don't know Monroe, if you don't know me, I grew up in Monroe, the little town on the shortcut to Silver Creek, okay? It's a wonderful place. Great people come from there. But I love Monroe, but I've told you lots of stories about the quirky old bachelors and the wild things that went on and some of my aunts and uncles that were pretty cool, but I don't think I've ever really told you about my one really, really, really favorite person in my life, other than my mom and dad. It was my mom's sister, and her name was Lucille. She was my Aunt Lucille. And I don't know how to describe Lucille to you except 
You know Miss K on Duck Dynasty? She was a lot like Miss K on Duck Dynasty, especially in her younger age. She, as she got older, she had some health issues, and she wasn't quite like that. They didn't really get to know her. But she was short, kind of rotund, because she, she liked to cook, and she liked to have all the family there all the time. If you've seen Miss K's kitchen, and they're all in there, and she's cooking, and and, and she, But she wasn't just exactly like Miss K. She was a lot like Miss K, but then she had a little element of Nancy Lewan in her. If any of you remember Brian's mother, Nancy, because she was real frank. She could point her finger at you, and she could hold her own, put it that way. When um, she had three kids, they were older than me, and... Her husband, in the late 40s and early 50s, owned the tavern in Monroe. I got a ta- we got a text a few weeks ago. The Shaners were coming through Monroe and had to go to the bathroom, so they stopped to go to the tavern in Monroe. And I asked Ben, and he really liked it. He thought it was the coolest place he'd ever been. <laughs> and so her husband owned the tavern, and they had three kids. And when she, about 1951, when the kids were little, he died. And if you know a woman in the 1950s, she never had a driver's license. They didn't give out food stamps. There was no government help. You just, if you didn't work, you didn't eat. So she took over the tavern and ran it. Thus my connection from the tavern from a little age. Because I always loved Aunt Lucille. From the time I was little, I just wanted to be with her. There was a connection there. I don't know how to tell you, but... I, you know, the feds today would have a terrible time with Monroe in the late 60s. And I had to be really little because in in the early 60s, she remarried and they sold the tavern. And they, if you ever go south in Monroe, there's a ranch-style house and it looks down Main Street. That was her house. So they sold the tavern in the early 60s and built that house. But when I was really little, I didn't want to go to a babysitter. If my folks had to do something or go someplace. They just took me to the tavern and dropped me off. <laughs> and I would just hang out with Aunt Lucille. I can remember sitting on her lap behind the bar, and there was still the same grill today. If you want a good hamburger, go to the tavern in Monroe, that same grill back there. And I, we'd grill burgers, and she always had pickles. And, and even when I was really little, there was a sink right behind the bar. She'd just slide a bar stool up there, sit me on it, and I'd wash the beer glasses. <laughs> that was my first job. I just grew up just like being in the Monroe, in Monroe because she was full of life and there was feisty and there was action. There was always action. And I was an action kid. You know, I didn't want to sit with some nice little babysitter. I wanted to go to the bar, wash beer glasses, and get in on the action. So... Probably the reason she was feisty, if you run a bar and you got those old stubborn German farmers and a bunch of drunks, you learn how to hold your own. And she could hold her own. And I liked that. And she, the bar in Monroe isn't just the bar. They serve breakfasts in the morning. They serve burgers. They serve noon lunches. 
and she would make huge batches of chilies and chili and cinnamon rolls. Cinnamon rolls were her specialty. My mom made pie, she made cinnamon rolls. Huge batches, and that was the Friday night special, and people came from all over for chili and cinnamon rolls. So she could cook in big batches. So after they sold the bar and moved up there, she didn't work out there, but she just, her life became like Miss Kay. She just cooked and fed the family all the time. And she was the adventuresome one. She was the wild game cook. You know, the boys in in August and September would go and get a gunny sack full of frogs, and she would do a frog leg dinner, and everybody, the frog legs were good. I can remember her whole kitchen would be electric frying pans full of jumping frog legs cooking, and they were so good. And then in January, she'd send the boys out, and they'd get a big batch of cottontails, and she'd make Hassenpfeffer. If you've ever had hot, it's kind of German, and it wasn't my favorite, but some of them loved it. And she would just do these big family meals, and in the summer, you know, do a fish fry, and it would be out on the lawn, just like the Robertsons. It was just so much like that. And the thing was, it was never formal. (laughs) It was never stuffy. It was never fancy. It was down home. I mean, there might be somebody having a wrestling match on the living room floor. There might be a deer carcass hanging in the garage. There might be uh, some, but kind of like Christmas vacation where the squirrel gets in and the dog chases it. I mean, it was just chaos. It was just fun chaos all the time. You just yeah, she was the one that was married to Lou. Her son, It was Lou, and he would get a few too many to drink, and he'd kind of keep everybody entertained. But it was just fun. If you have never had a family experience like that, you're missing out on something in life. But then, you know, the family would all go home, and then during the week, her kids were all grown. But I just liked being with her. So I'd, when I was little, I'd ride my pony to town or my bike to town, just go hang out with her. And then as I got older, I'd just go you know, drive the car and go hang out with her. And why did I like her so much? You know, she just got me. (laughs) She just got me. I don't know why. She just got me. My mom had an older sister, sweet woman. She always wanted to search your soul. She'd always get real close and wanted to know how you were doing and I just, no way. I, you know, I'm not a soul searcher type of person. Just keep it simple. Keep it simple. And Aunt Lucille never searched my soul. We just would go and have fun together. If you caught a fish this big, she'd fry it for you. If you caught one huge, she'd do a whole dinner. It was, you talked about fishing and the weather, and she had chickens, her girls. We'd talk about the chickens, and, and she, she just never pushed me. She never asked about my grades. She never told me to mind my manners. She just, although, she, what? She loved me. She just knew me. She knew. I had another aunt. She always wanted me to play the piano and sing in the choir. Lucille knew I would never play the piano or sing in the choir. And I think she liked it. She was a little, she had that little rebellious side. Let's just do something to irritate everybody else. That's probably why I liked her. We just like to irritate everybody else. And the thing is, I just liked her so much, I'd do anything for her. I'd wash her beer glasses. I'd clean her chicken coop. 
I'd go to her house and she'd say, let's go out and weed the flower bed. She'd take her lawn chair, I'd weed the flower bed, and she'd say, there's a weed and that's a flower, and I'd do the whole thing, but I didn't care because I just liked being with her. And when I stopped to think about it, isn't that what our relationship with God, that's all it should be. He gets you. God gets you. He knows you. You don't have to tell him your innermost weird woo-woo-woo thought. He knows already. He knows who you are. And that's why I like being with her, because she got me. And because she got me, I liked being with her, and I eventually got her. And the more we got each other, the more we love to be with each other. And I'd do anything for her. Isn't that what the relationship with God's all about? We make it so hard. God doesn't care if you play the piano or sing in the choir. He'd like to talk to you about walleye fishing or deer hunting. Sometimes he just, sometimes I just go sit in the porch with a cup of coffee and say, God, I really don't have anything to say. But if you do, just go ahead. And you know what? Sometimes he doesn't say anything. In fact, most of the time when I'm sitting like that, he doesn't tell me anything. But as we drive along and we go past a baseball game, or he'll quicken something to me. He never shoves anything down your throat. And I think that's why people are afraid to get to know him. They're afraid he's going to shove something down their throat or make them be somebody they're not going to be. And so we kind of treat him like my aunt. I just kind of... Stay in the distance and don't get too close. But God isn't like that. God's relaxed. He's comfortable. And you just need to learn learn to love him more and more because he loves you and he gets you. God is not some stern, unapproachable, legalistic, mean-spirit, religious zealot. You just got to take time to get to know him. How did I get to know her? I just showed up at her doorstep all the time. I'd just walk in her back door. I'd ring the doorbell so that I didn't startle her, but just walked in. And I knew I was always welcome. I knew she had time for me. I knew it was something that I wanted to talk about, like the chickens or the baseball. And I could share my victories with her. And so don't make your relationship with God some big weird woo or hard and he's punishing me, legalistic. That's not God. That's not the God I know anyway. That's not the God I want. I want to have an Aunt Lucille relationship with him. And you know what? The other nice thing about her was she knew I was busy. And if I didn't show up every day of the week, She still loved me. She didn't get her feelings hurt, but she knew I'd always show up because I just wanted to be with her. So let's end with this scripture in Philippians chapter 3. Let's start with verse 8. It says, Yet indeed... I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge 
of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not uh, having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which through is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. This is Paul speaking, that I may know him. And when you get to know him, then you get to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already attained, nor I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. You'll never get to know everything about God. He's so far beyond, but the nice thing is he can come to your level. And every day, day after day, you can get to know him a little bit better. It's just about taking time and doing it. And I think the more you do, the more you realize how much you love him. And when you know how much you love him, you'll just do anything for him. If that means you just need to mind your manners a little more, mind your manners a little more. But God isn't a stern taskmaster. He just loves you, and he just gets you. He made you the way you are, so he can't hate that, can he? So just if you want to know your purpose for God, start with knowing God because it all starts right there. Just take the time and get to know God.